ask him to speak. Let me go ahead and lift him up in prayer. Father God, thank you for loving us the way you do and bringing us together here this morning to be part of your church. We pray that your spirit would be with us to teach us and mold us in the way that you desire. We specifically lift up Dan this morning as he shares the message, and we pray that as your congregation, that our minds and hearts would be open to hearing what you have us to learn today. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Good to see you. Good to be here with all of you again after a little while off. You know that your pastor is a uh, student. You know that, right? Yes. So a while ago I said, Jordan, end of the semester can get a little rough. Let me know if I can help you out. So uh, as you pray for your leaders, you might pray for him as he's writing papers on horribly important but (laughs) sometimes odd topics. But uh, we're not here to talk about an odd topic. We're here to talk about the great topic for Christians at this time of year, and that is the purpose of the incarnation. So if you'd like to know what's coming, uh, today we're going to look at seven statements Jesus made about why he came, or really six, and then one where Paul summarizes the other six. So there's seven statements altogether that either begin, I came, Jesus says, I came to do this or that, and then at the end, Paul says, Christ Jesus came. Um, but what I do is first start off with a contrast between the way we come and do things and the way Jesus does. And so the big idea is that for us, we often know exactly what we're doing, but we don't quite accomplish what we intend. Or we come with this or that in our mind, and it's sort of kind of close to <laughs> what's important. In other words, we do things and um, we wander a bit. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he came. For example, we could take uh, Christopher Columbus. You know the story of Columbus, 1492, came to America. Maybe you've heard the story that he planned to go to China and India and find the Spice Islands and make the trade routes and all the rest. And, and if you heard it in grade school, you heard that people thought he shouldn't try because he would sail off the edge of the earth. And that's maybe what the average person thought in those days, but actually all educated people then knew the world was round, and they knew that Columbus' plan made perfect sense to go this way to get that way. The problem is that most people knew the world was about 24, 25,000 miles in circumference, just as in fact we know today. And uh, they said, your plan doesn't give you enough food and water to make it. Because the trip was going to be expensive, he told everybody that the distance from Spain to Japan was 3,000 miles. Now, in fact, it's 13,000 miles. And the truth is, he would have died, along with all of his sailors, of lack of water and lack of food, because he didn't have enough. But somebody finally said, go ahead and try it. And he hit the new world, and so he accomplished something that he didn't mean to accomplish. He meant to go to get rich through trade, and instead he found continents. That's the way a lot of us are. We, we plan to do something and something else happens. We plan to join a book club because we want to read books. We find we make a best friend for life, and that's nice. Other times we, um, we do things just to do them. So one of the great accomplishments that we think of from the last century was uh, putting a man on the moon, or really a couple men on the moon, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and they did it to show they could do it. They did it to see if they could demonstrate that the technology would work and they could get there before the Russians because it was the Cold War. 
And, and kind of getting there was the main thing. They weren't going to put a colony there or anything. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of um, Americans who at least vaguely call themselves Christians, we think of Jesus' incarnation as something like a trip to the moon. Isn't it awesome that God came to earth? Well, it is awesome that God came to earth, and it's amazing that Jesus came and was born in a feeding trough and not in the Hotel Ritz, which, by the way, would have been a step down also. But he didn't come just to see what was going on. He didn't come just to say, wow, what a trip. He didn't come as an adventure traveler as we sometimes are. He came with a purpose, and that purpose is foretold in the Old Testament. Micah, for example, says in one place, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, although you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be a ruler of Israel. His origins are from of old, from ancient times, and he shall be their peace. It's the first time the Bible talks about the coming of Christ the King bringing peace. He shall be their peace. He's our peace. And Jeremiah says, the days are coming when I will raise up from David a righteous branch who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land, and he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So Jesus is our peace, according to Micah, and Jesus is our righteousness, according to Jeremiah. So those are the things we knew beforehand. But then Jesus also talks about why he came. And the first of those is going to come up here in a second. It's from Matthew chapter 5. When he begins his teaching, he says, I came. It's coming. Jesus said, come on. It's coming. I feel it. There it is. Jesus is teaching early in his ministry in chapter 5, and he tells the crowds, here's why I came. Uh, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, how does Jesus fulfill the law? He does it in two ways. First of all, he does it by saying what it really means. It's not just a matter of rules and regulations we have to follow. It has to do with our hands and our heart and our mind and our emotions. It means giving our whole self to God in the fullness of love and obedience and, um, and not only did he come to talk about it, but he came to do it. He came to fulfill the law. He came to do it. Now, Jesus didn't just come to do it. He also came to do it for people who can't. So I don't know if you can, we're a little bit far from Christmas, but um, if you can think of it this way, when we put on our sweaters, most of us get sweaters at Christmas, right? Or a shirt, especially a sweater or some wrap or, you know, pajamas or some warm thing that keeps you warm in the winter. When you put that on, I want you to think of yourself, if you can remember for three weeks, that we're not clothed just in a sweater, but we're clothed in Christ. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because we're not clothed in our own righteousness. He came to fulfill the law himself and for us to wrap us in his righteousness. Now, what that means, of course, is that we aren't wrapped in our own righteousness, and that's the second word. Jesus said, one day to a gathering of people, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He said this on a day when he was meeting with a group of tax collectors and sinners and having a, a, a meal with them, and people were saying, Jesus, you're a, you're a teacher, you're a holy man, what are you doing hanging around with sinners? And he said, I tell you what, let's, let's uh, think about this for a minute. It's a great question. What am I doing with sinners? And here's my answer. Let's go to the doctor's office together and see who's there. You know who's at the doctor's office? 
sick people. You know why? Because healthy people don't need a doctor. And he says, I'm like a doctor to the soul. Of course I hang out with sick people. Of course I hang out, hang out with sinners. They're the ones who need me. If you're so full of self-righteousness, some people were, some people still are, then you don't need me. But if you're a sinner, then I came for you. Which, by the way, is really good news if, um, if you know you're a sinner. If your life isn't quite what you'd like it to be. If you aren't the person you aspire to be. If you look back over the year and say, I could really grow in some areas. Then Jesus came for you. Well, not everybody likes that. And not everybody likes hearing that they're sinners and that they need Jesus. And so we come to the third word. And that is, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. That is to say, Jesus is divisive. Now, the word divisive is kind of an ugly word. We don't like to say divisive. If we say somebody's divisive, we're, we're probably insulting them. But Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Another place he said, I've come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. That doesn't sound like sweet baby Jesus in the manger. But he didn't stay in the manger the whole time. He had a purpose, remember? And sometimes Jesus' words and his ways were unsettling. He said, it has to be so. Because this world is a broken place. And to fix it, I've got to go against people's expectations. And one of those expectations is that Jesus, holy as he is, spent lots of time with sinners. And he told people things they didn't want to hear. Like, you need my salvation. And that will be divisive. To follow Jesus is divisive. Can I just do a sidebar for a second? One of the awkward things at Christmas time is when a believer spends a lot of time with their unbelieving relatives. And everybody's afraid there'll be tension. But you know, there are, I'm not in favor of tension, believe me. I am not in favor of tension. But sometimes tension is unavoidable. Sometimes people disagree, and somebody's headed for ruin or for trouble, and you have to say it especially if they're willing to hear. I'm not saying go out and confront everybody all the time. But there is a place for a sword. Jesus brings a sword. Well, he brings a sword because he came and he always tells the truth. Pilate said to him uh, in John chapter 18, verse 37, so you're a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. There he's saying it again. Here's, I have come. What did he come to do? I came to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus testifies to the truth. You know, one of the things about people is that it's hard to tell what's really going on with somebody. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that it's sometimes hard to tell what's going on in yourself? And you think to yourself sometimes, what am I, why am I thinking about that? What am I feeling today? I'm not sure how I feel about this. Or you do something, and somebody says to you, why did you do that? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. I don't know why I did it. It doesn't really make any sense. You know, you really hurt me when you did this. Why did you do that? I have, and, you, and the honest answer is, I have no idea why I did that. Now, the Bible says that that's the human condition. It says in Proverbs chapter 20, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find? Who's as faithful as they would like to be? And so Jesus testifies to the truth, and that truth includes the truth that really no one is faithful all the way down. 
and therefore we all need the coming of Christ. And now we look at another word that Jesus gave, and this is a little bit longer, and it starts in Luke chapter 19. If you want to follow along in your Bible, if you have a Bible in your lap, or on your phone, or on your iPad, this might be the time, because we're going to slow down with this one a little bit. Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, entered Jericho. This is about, well, I'll give you time to turn, I'll tell you. This is about a, a week before his crucifixion. And he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He entered Jerusalem, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was, once again, a chief tax collector. Now, earlier, Jesus met with tax collectors, but this guy's different. He's a chief tax collector, which means he organizes all the tax collectors. Which means that all the tax collectors who extort and abuse and betray their own people answer to him. He's the biggest, baddest, and worst of all the exploiters of God's people and all the traitors. And behold, and he's rich. Of course he's rich. And he's gotten rich off the backs of his people. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And then three more verses. And when they saw it, they, that is the crowd, all grumbled. And they said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to all the people, he's defending himself and Jesus. He said, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restored it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Well, let's just think about this one. <clears throat> a little bit more. So we have this, this big crowd around Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem for the last time for the Passover. And there are lots of people always going to Jerusalem for the Passover, thousands of people. And he's very famous as a prophet and a healer. And so there's a huge crowd around him. And if, if there's a crowd that size, you know what, Rex, would you go back to the previous one just for a minute? When the, the crowd that size, it's hard to get close to see or to hear. And you notice just the, the emphasis on seeing. He, verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't. So he ran ahead, and he wanted to see him, verse 4 says, and then Jesus looked up. So there's a lot of emphasis on kind of seeing. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And it's hard for him because it's a big crowd, and he is diminutive. In fact, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And because he was an exploiter of his people, nobody wanted to save a place. Nobody said, hey, bro, I'll save a place for you. I know you're short. He had no bros. He was very unpopular. And so to be a chief tax collector, I'm going to say he was like, he had to be 45 or 50 or 55 years. You don't get to that position at the age of 32. So he's, you know, this short rich, important man climbing up into a tree, which is ridiculous. People are, kids are probably laughing at him. Imagine seeing, you know, the mayor, an evil mayor, in a tree at a, at a festival. And he's sitting there, and he sees Jesus. That's all he really wants. But Jesus comes, and Jesus looks up at him and calls him by name. 
Now, that's a little miracle. That's a miracle of knowledge. Zacchaeus has it in mind to see Jesus, but Jesus has more in mind. All he wants us to do is see Jesus. They just want to see him. That's not, very, that's not a very big plan. But Jesus has a far bigger plan. And so he looks up, he calls him by name, he knows his name somehow, and he does this amazing thing. He says, I must stay at your house today. I'm not, you know, not, not hey, we should get together sometime. Or, you know, you have a house and I don't, could I come over sometime? No, I have to, it is an absolute imperative, I have to come to your house today. Have you, has anybody here ever done that? Have you ever said to somebody, hey, I have to come to your house in one hour, I expect a meal? Has anyone said it to you? No. This is extremely unusual behavior, but it's Jesus' decision that he has to meet with Zacchaeus. Because God was doing something in Zacchaeus' heart that he himself didn't fully understand. He wanted to see Jesus, but God was prompting him by the Spirit, something more. And what happened was, we don't, it's not really spelled out. And he came down and received him joyfully, verse 6 says. Then verse 7, if you would, again, Everybody's complaining, why isn't he coming to my house? Why is he coming to the house of a, of a traitor? And then they have their meal. And then it doesn't, you know, it's not clear how long it lasts. And by the way, in those days, if you had a meal, sometimes people would watch. Believe it or not, that was a custom in those days. So uh, maybe some people who grumbled were still there hours later. And after the conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus, he says, you know what? I gotta give, I gotta give everything I stole back. Well, a lot of what he had it, he'd stolen. And not only was he gonna give it back, he was gonna he was going to give fourfold, which is the maximum payback. It's like I'm gonna pay back double what you're supposed to do, but it, it was a high-handed, deliberate sin, and so I'm gonna pay back everything I am. What he's saying is, I repent. I am sorry that I stole from my people. I am sorry that I betrayed my people. I'm sorry that I betrayed my God. And if I have anything left, if I'm going to give half my goods away, I'm going to give my money away. I'm going to restore everything I stole because I want to get right with God and the people around me. He wasn't necessarily a great theologian yet, but he's saying I've got to undo my, my evil way of life. There is a contrast. If you have your Bibles open, you could turn back to it. It's just a little bit earlier in Matthew 18, there is another man that comes to Jesus. We know this man, we call this man the rich young ruler, and this man came to Jesus saying, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? I'm very obedient, I'm very righteous. And uh, Jesus eventually said to him, well, if you really want to follow me, what you need to do is sell all that you have and follow me. And he wouldn't do it because he loved his money. But Zacchaeus, who had loved money, the only reason to be a tax collector is to get rich. The only reason to be a tax collector is because you love money. And he realized that he no longer loved money, but he loved Jesus. He realized he no longer loved money, he loved God. That's repentance. And that's why Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He's saying, this is why I came. I came to seek you who are lost. I came for sinners like you. Now, I want to make this very clear. <clears throat> this has a present and an ongoing aspect to it. Sorry, a past and a present or ongoing aspect. The past sense of it is this. 
Jesus comes to win every person whom he meets, whom he encounters, to himself, to save them from eternal death, from separation to God, from God, and all the rest. So we could look back and we could say, Jesus came to save me, and maybe you were a child, maybe you were 17, maybe you were 24, maybe you were 44, but there's a, there's a desire in Christ to win you to himself. But the truth of the matter is, it's not just a one-time event. Although that's absolutely essential and epical, and I hope everybody here has said, Jesus came to seek and to save me. I was lost and you found me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I hope everybody here has said that. There's also a sense in which we can still get lost in different ways. We still don't know where we're going. Our hearts are murky. We don't know why we do what we do. We don't know why we entertain doubts about things. We don't know why we're angry at God or angry at ourselves or upset about our work. We get confused. And Jesus continues to come to seek us, to save us, to direct us. Salvation, in other words, is something that happens the day we believe. It's never done until he comes again. Salvation is an event, and it's a process. And Jesus keeps on seeking and saving us. I hope you know that. I hope you feel that, experience that in your life. Well, there's one more word, big word, that we have. Well, there's two more words. Um, the next word is that Jesus explains that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that's, that's his word that explains how he saved Zacchaeus. He meets Zacchaeus a week before he actually gave his life on the cross as a ransom for many. He gave his life to redeem us. Now, I'm developing the point I was just making a moment ago. The word ransom means to redeem. To bring somebody out of bondage. And in the Bible, there are two kinds of bondage we're in. There's the great bondage to sin and to death and rebellion against God, and he brings us out of that. But there's also this bondage that continues irrationally, we might say. It doesn't make sense but we're still in some kind of bondage to sin even after we've been redeemed. We're still in a confusing tendency to commit the same sins or to be sad or grievous or self-condemning or angry at others. We still have a tendency to get into those same things so that we are redeemed, we're, we're set free, from eternal death and from the punishment of sins, and yet sin still has a grip, and so Jesus is continually loosening us. Last word is from Paul. And in the apostle, Paul's summary statement, wrapping up the various things Jesus said, he declares this. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's his way of saying, look, here comes something really important. The saying is trustworthy, worthy of full acceptance. This is big. This is one of my summaries, he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, this translation says, the foremost. Other translations say the first. Some translations say chief. Now, Christ is the title, anointed one. Jesus means the Lord says Christ Jesus came, again, he was elsewhere. He came into this world. 
He came into this world. A couple of you have heard me say this before. Um, if Jesus came today, they'd probably have two minivans. And the disciples and Jesus would, would drive around in two minivans, probably around 11. One would be 11 years old and the other would be 17 years old. They'd have a total of 308,000 miles on them. And Peter would constantly be saying, shotgun, shotgun. And the others would be saying, ugh, I meant to call shotgun. He came into the world. He came into our world in the gritty detail, just, you know, the way we live. Christ Jesus came into our world, our world, where we go shopping and we can't find a parking space. We didn't even want to go shopping anyway. And now I can't find his parking space. That's our world. Jesus came into our world. And he came into our world to save sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the foremost. That's an amazing statement. See, Paul was a great sinner. We all know that, right? Persecuted the church, blasphemed Christ. But that was a long time ago. He was probably 30, 32 years old when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, you know, stop persecuting me, and he came to faith. And when he writes this in 1 Timothy He's probably 60, 62, 64 years old. So for 30 years, he's been doing the opposite. He's been an apostle and a preacher and an evangelist. He's been beaten for Christ, jailed. He's been threatened. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been, you know, attacked and vilified. For 30, 32, 34 years, he's been doing all these righteous things. And very near, you know, just a few years from the end of his life, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he does not say of whom I was the first or the foremost or the chief. He says of whom I am. His sin still looms large to him. He doesn't think for one second that he outgrew his need for Jesus. He doesn't think, look, I've been serving you, I've been sacrificing for you all these years. Now I can say I was a sinner, now I'm an apostle. He is an apostle. When he talks about Christ and why Jesus came, he doesn't say, I came, Jesus came to make me an apostle. He says, he came to save sinners like me, like me. In fact, he says, I'm the worst. Um, just kind of interesting. The point of it is this. When you get irritated with somebody, relationships are difficult for a little while. It's really easy to think, you know, this person is just so insensitive, so selfish. And yet what we should say, if Paul teaches us, is not he is, she is, but I am. I'm the worst sinner I know. Can you say that? Jesus came because we're all the worst sinners we know, and he came to save us. He came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So why did Jesus come? He came to fulfill the law. He came to call sinners. He came to bring a sword. He came to testify to the truth, whether it's easy or hard. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to save sinners like you and me. And I hope you know that. I hope you receive that. I hope you live in that. Um, you know, one of the things, when you go Christmas shopping, I don't know if you're Christmas shopping yet, but when you, when you think about what you're going to buy somebody for Christmas, 
You want it to be something that lasts and kind of enters their life, right? If you buy somebody music, you don't want to get them music. You want to get them an album that becomes one of their top ten favorite albums of all time, right? You don't want to buy somebody a sweater. You want, you want to buy them their go-to sweater, their default sweater, right? And I, I pray that, that something like that is what Jesus is for you, that Jesus came to give you a gift. He came to give you the gift of eternal life. And it's not, a, it's not the kind of gift you receive and then use once or twice and then shove in the corner. It's the kind of gift, truly, that transforms your life. Because you're saved, you're right with God, and God is in your life, God is Emmanuel, and he's with you as your Savior, continually redeeming you from sin, continually moving away from being lost toward being found in the fullness of being found. I pray that you seek that, you desire that, you let God do that in you and for you this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that um, we would know exactly why you came, even, Lord, as you knew exactly why you came. You didn't drift to the earth. Your coming was not a happy accident. It wasn't tourism. You came into the world to save sinners. And Lord, uh, that's me, and that's us. And I pray that we would receive the salvation that's ours for eternal life, and also the salvation that works itself out day by day as we keep humbling ourselves and confessing our sin and telling you that we get lost and saying, Lord, find me. Lord, direct me. Lord, guide me into a good and full life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you sing for us? Yes, not right now. As the ushers come forward with the baskets for, for your offertory, we ask that you would give your tithes and offerings again, not as a cold business transaction, uh, but as an act of worship this morning to the God who has given us everything, all good things. Uh, we also ask that if you have a connection card that you filled out with, this, with us this morning, if you're new here, uh, we would love to know who you were. We'd love to know that you were with us. If you would pass that in the offertory baskets as well. This morning as Steve plays during this time, would you reflect uh, on Dan's words and on the words of Christ and the words of his incarnation? And this morning, would you hear Jesus himself calling to you through our murky hearts, through our confused hearts, would you listen and reflect as Christ is still, even in this moment, calling us to himself? celebrate the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's table every week here in this church. If you're a visitor, we uh, just follow the crowd. 
You just do what the person in front of you does, and everything will be fine. Um, Jesus uh, instructs us to remember his death and his resurrection, which, of course, is perfectly connected to his incarnation, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came for sinners who need an atonement for sin. He fulfilled the law because we can't. And he paid the price for our sin because he could. And he asks us to keep on remembering that, to keep on remembering that we're lost and he has found us. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the first. So I need him, and I walk through him, and he said, take these elements into your hands and into your mouth so it will uh, be real to you, and so I will commune with you. And so these are the words Jesus spoke shortly before his death, explaining his death and his resurrection. He said this, um, he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And he took bread and he broke it as he said that. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he also took a cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many, shed for you for the remission of sins. Drink you all of it. You meaning all believers. When Paul describes this, he says, look, these are the words Jesus gave me to say. And he gave them so that we would do this in remembrance of him. But not if you don't remember him. If, if you don't have this union with him by faith, then stay where you are, think, meditate, pray. But if you do remember him, then do come and let Matt and I serve you. And uh, that applies whether you are you're at the top of your Christian life or at the bottom. Remember, it, it's not, the Lord's table is not for Christians who are doing great. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first. And so if you're struggling today, this is for you. This is God's blessing for you. So Jesus said, come, take and eat. This is my body. This is my blood for you. Heavenly Father, uh, speak to us, join us, bless us, meet with us, even in these next moments as we celebrate your sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord, for coming to this world to save sinners like us and for loving us and communing with us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity 
In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save. The hell-bound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Would you stand and sing with us? the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the god of life but no grave could e'er restrain him praise the lord he is alive what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering our hope christ in power resurrection as we will be when he comes what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering our hope christ in power resurrected as we will be when he From the Westminster Confession of Faith, we say these words, 
God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man. Once in royal David's city stood 